Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. If you have your Bibles or your devices, go with me to 1 Kings chapter 21. I'm going to read you 16 verses. Okay, I'm going to give you a whole lot of introduction, a whole lot of background, then I'm going to teach you, then I'm going to preach to you, and then we're going to respond. I'm telling you what I'm doing, okay? Get your heart ready. This is going to be heavy. Are you with me? If you want to leave, sneak out now. I'm okay with that. Here we go. 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 1 through 16 says this. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab. Everybody say Ahab. Ahab. King of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, you better be careful when somebody wants something in exchange from you. It will give you, I will give you a better vineyard if you prefer, I will even pay what it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home sullen and angry and moping with his head down. He went home crying because Naboth, the Jezreelite, had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. It's time for the church to tell the enemy, you cannot have my inheritance. Okay? Listen to it. He answered. His wife says, okay, his wife, Jezebel. Everybody say Jezebel. Jezebel. And I say, uh uh-oh. Jezebel came in and said, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He says, because Naboth, the Jezreelite, I told him, sell me your vineyard. But he says, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife says, is this how the king acts? Is this how the king of Israel is supposed to act? Cheer up. Get you something to eat. I'll get your vineyard. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth city. In those letters, she wrote, proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in the prominent place among the people. But seek two scoundrels opposite of him and have them bring charges that he's cursed both God and the king. And take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and the nobles who lived in Naboth city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written him. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. And two scoundrels came and sat opposite of him, and they brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside of the city, and they stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Nahab, uh, Naboth, the Jezreelite, uh, that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive but dead. Look at verse 16. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up, went down, and he took possession of Naboth's vineyard. I want you to see this story. Ahab takes possession of Naboth's vineyard. He takes possession of Naboth's crop. He takes possession of Naboth's inheritance. He takes possession of what belonged to Naboth. It was his land. It was physically his ground. 
I want to preach a message today simply entitled, Stand Your Ground. Stand Your Ground. Father, we thank you today for the reading of your word. God, we come against every antic, every tactic, every scheme of the enemy in our community, in our nation, in our church, in our lives. And Lord, today we declare as your children that there has been given an inheritance to us, even as we sang, it's for our children and our children's children and generations to come that God, you want to bless us. But God, there's a real enemy who's trying to steal our land. And God, we are declaring today that we are standing our ground in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Stand your ground. Stand your ground. Tell your neighbor, stand your ground. Stand your ground is a saying I I found it used as early as the 1940s. I don't know the original origin, but it's simply a military term not to retreat in the face of opposition, To, to stay where you are, to protect what's yours, even when you feel threatened. It's, it's when you draw the line and you're not willing to budge no matter what the consequences may be. Sadly for the church in America, we've been in a season of losing ground, not standing our ground. I believe one of the reasons this is happening all across America is because churches don't value the word of God like they once did. We are now seeing sound doctrine bow to the itching ears of carnal men. The church has been swayed by culture and popular opinion. Maybe that's why the Apostle Paul said these words to Timothy. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Forget listening to it. Forget living it. There's a time that's coming when even disagreeing with what the Bible says isn't enough that we won't even put up with it anymore, that we're going to start churches and movements and put it all in the name of God, wrap it up in Christianity and call it something that it's not because we have itching ears and they will cancel you if you say something otherwise. It says this, that that time will come and it says instead to, it says this, they're going to start movements and churches and ideologies, watch this, to suit their own desires. They will gather around a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, and they will turn their ears away from the truth of God's word and turn aside to myths. I just want you to see this progression that that sound doctrine leaves, like, see ya. No more holiness, no more righteousness. We're going to preach our own desires, whatever feels good, be you, do you, live you. Tell me what my itching ears want to hear, and if you don't do that, I will find a church who preaches my opinions. That is the state that we are in, and the reason why that we're there is because we now live in a day of opinions instead of truth. Don't we? Every t- it seems like everybody right now has an opinion on everything. Don't we? And these opinions draw us to sides, like you have to choose it seems like every day with every issue we're forced to pick an opinion or a side i i'm just going to talk about the low-hanging fruit there's there's it goes a lot deeper than this but we 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 can just talk about politics you're either republican or democrat it's either pick a side black or white pro-life or pro-choice mask or no mask capitalism 
or socialism, Marxism or fascism. It's like we're drawn to sides. It's so polarizing, rich, poor. The, the, the list goes on and on. And, and have you noticed that on, on every issue there is a side? And if you get on the wrong side, the other side will cancel you. And you would think that the church would be a safe place that instead of picking sides, we pick truth. But that hasn't happened. My, my, my friend Jonathan Stockstill in Baton Rouge at Bethany Church wrote this. I got this from him, but I wanted to read it. He wrote an article simply entitled, Pastor, I'm Leaving Your Church. And he talked about over the, nas- the last 10 months, starting in COVID, to the social injustice, to the political climate, to everything that's happening in our nation. People have left this church on every side, quoting sides. He just gave a few of these. I want to read them to you because this list encompasses why people left our church. I've heard every one of these from people in our church. Listen to it. Pastor, I'm leaving your church. And please, don't don't amen anything right now. You you can amen at the end, okay? Because I want you to understand that every comment I make, there's an opposite to it as well. You'll, 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 You'll catch on. Pastor, I'm leaving your church because you didn't speak up on racial injustice enough. Because you didn't speak up enough about abortion. Because you didn't call out Black Lives Matter, the organization and movement for being Marxist, socialist, anti-traditional. Because you didn't call out Donald Trump supporters for being for supporting a lying, arrogant, egotistical, divisive man. Because you don't tell the truth enough about the dangers of the liberal agenda with LGBTQ and abortion, religious intolerance, and anti-Israel. Because you don't condemn white supremacy enough. Because you didn't call out the rioting and looting and protests enough. Because you didn't call out the thugs that rampage the Capitol enough. Because you don't teach about prophecy in the end of the world. Because you didn't take COVID seriously enough. Because you opened up the church too soon because you didn't open up the church soon enough, because you don't talk about race enough, because you talk about race too much, because you talk way too much about politics, because you don't talk about politics enough. Sides. 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 Listen to me. If we don't preach God's word, and if we don't exalt Jesus, and if we don't exemplify godly character, And if our pastors don't love their wives and their family, and if we've been dishonest with church funds, and if we don't submit to the authorities placed over us, and if I'm unloving and our pastors are unloving, then you found a reason to leave. If not, you may be responding to the emotion of your side instead of the truth of God's word. Are you with me? We're not here to pick sides. We're here to speak the truth. When it comes to God's word, there's only two sides that ultimately matter. It's not Republican and Democrat. It's not black and white. It's not rich and poor. Why? Because we don't preach a Republican gospel. We don't preach a Democratic gospel. We don't preach a black gospel. We don't preach a white gospel. We preach the truth of Jesus Christ. That itself will divide people, okay? So when the Bible delineates the sides... Here it is, righteous and unrighteous, holy and unholy, godly and wicked. That is it. That is the only size that we're choosing. In our text today, we're going to go back to 1 Kings. This scripture is going to set a line where these two sides couldn't be any clearer. I want to give you three main characters. We're going to focus on one, but I want you to see all three of them. Are you with me? 1 Kings Chapter 2, if you go back with me, there are three main characters. The first character is King Ahab. Everybody say Ahab. Ahab was a wicked, wicked king. 
He was the antithesis of God. He didn't care about God. He didn't care about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, excuse me, Ahab had an agenda. 1 Kings 16 actually says this of, of Ahab, that everything that he did, the Lord considered evil. The Bible says this of Ahab, that in God's eyes, he was the worst king ever to live, that there was no more wicked before him or after him. He actually introduces Baal worship uh, as the national religion of Israel. He builds an altar and sacrifices things on this altar in the name of his country. This would be the equivalent of a president uh, building a satanic temple. I just want you to get this picture in Washington, D.C. and having demonic sacrifices. That, that is how wicked this man is. He oversees a powerful kingdom. Here's who Ahab represents. Ahab represents Satan or the devil. Now, I know this may be shocking to you, but how many know that Satan is real? Okay, just like Ahab, he has a kingdom too. Uh, just like Ahab, uh, he has an agenda. His agenda is wicked. He has an agenda in the church. He has an agenda in your life. The enemy has an agenda. It's to steal, kill, and destroy it hasn't changed since day one. It was the same in the garden. It's the same today. It will be the same a thousand years from now. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, it would be amazing if the devil showed up in our lives and in our marriages and in our politics, you know, wearing red underwear and a cape and a pitchfork with a little name tag that said, you know, Lucifer on it. I call him Lucy. That, it, it, that would be amazing if he just showed up and be like, oh, oh, yeah, he's, yeah that's, that's, that's the devil. That's, that's the devil. But how many know that that's not true? Because he's a schemer and he's crafty and he disguises himself. Galatians says he even masquerades himself as an angel of light. So he doesn't show up wearing red underwear in a pitchfork. He shows up as a pretty girl or a good looking guy. He shows up in the form of opportunity. Watch this. He shows up in the name of political correctness. He even shows up, watch this, you gotta be careful, I'm gonna explain this. He even shows up in the name of equality. That's Ahab. Then there's Jezebel, everybody say, uh-oh. Yeah, she's the one we're gonna talk about this morning. Y'all, Jezebel is the wife of Ahab. Y'all didn't know the devil had a wife, did you? Of course he does. He's married to all kinds of things. He's married to all kinds of ideologies, all kinds of movements and powers and agendas. But he will disguise himself as other things. And he has one motive, to manipulate, deceive, seduce, and bring fear to God's people. So Ahab is married to Jezebel. The Bible says this of Jezebel, that Jezebel is the most wicked woman in the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 9 associates her with, with, with witchcraft, sorcery, and immorality. She was a fanatical pagan idol worshiper. And one of the things that she was known for was sacrificing infants on the altar of Baal. She would sacrifice babies. Baby sacrifice is nothing new. This is 3,000 years in the making. So I want you to see this, that she is a powerful seductress 
who killed God's prophets. She was a murderer. She, she was after the prophets, and the ones that she didn't kill, she sent running. You remember, she sent a, a Elijah running, and he actually hid, so they're fearing for their life. So I want you to see the spirit that's on Jezebel. She has a murdering spirit, and here's what she does. She kills babies and innocent men. That is called injustice, and God hates it. What? God hates it? Yes, let me read it to you. Proverbs chapter 6, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable. Here they are. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Watch this. Hands that shed innocent blood. Let me just set one thing straight for everybody in here. In the womb and in the streets, God hates the shedding of innocent blood, and we should hate both as well. Watch this. Here's what's happened even in the church that we've politicized injustice and you have a group that wholly hates injustice in the street and you have a group that only hates injustice in the womb. God hates them both. Do you see the manipulative, seductive spirit of Jezebel even dividing the church over what God hates? He hates them both. I can't make it any plainer than that. So I, I just want you to see this. She's a murderer. She's seductive, she's manipulative, and she just tries to destroy everything that is sacred and holy to God. Now, she died 3,000 years ago, okay? But her spirit still lives today. Now, that, that doesn't mean that she's like reincarnated. She's not a person. It's not like, ooh, the ghost of Jezebel. No, no. I'm talking about a force that exists from the powers of the enemy. It's the same spirit, it's the same, it's the same M.O., he hasn't changed. Jezebel represents the spirit of the day. Go with me now to Ephesians, I'm still teaching you, I haven't preached yet. Ephesians 6, watch this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not. It's, it's, it's but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Why is this important? Because if we look at our world and all we see is the craziness and the immorality and the confusion and the hate and the hurt and the evil and, and we try to place blame on somebody else, like because we say things, oh, it's these people who are responsible. It's this political party who's allowing it. It's, it's this group. It's that movement or it's that individual. No, no, no. Listen to it. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I'll say it again. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, which means that there's a coordinated, organized uh, spiritual force deployed by Satan to implement his plans on our lives. Are you tracking with me? And I believe that the Jezebel spirit is one of the forces that he uses the most. We got to defeat her. But before you defeat her, you have to identify her. You can't take down an enemy that you don't know exists. If you are, you're just a shadow boxer. Swinging at the air. I want just to give you a few examples of where I think she lives. I will step on some of your toes. It's okay. Number one, 
she will always be attached to power. She was married to a king. She's a manipulator. She gets as high up the ladder as she possibly can. She loves power. She loves the spotlight. Her spirit, I believe, is alive in Hollywood elite. She loves power. She loves influence. By the way, by the way, it's no longer, influence is no longer today, the influence today are no longer community leaders, parents, and clergy. That's not who, who's influencing our young people. You know, you know what a, an influencer is today? It's someone who has X amount of Instagram followers. Can I just make it plain? It's Cardi B and her 84 million followers on Instagram telling nine-year-olds about their WAP. I, I want you to see what is influencing the next generation. We're sitting here singing about our children and our children's children, but are we willing to let God and the church be the ultimate influencer in their life? Je Jezebel's always about power. She can be found in politics. Uh-oh. Y'all, and I, and I say this with all sincerity, every single one of us in here have an identity issue. The, the enemy has tried to steal every single one of our identities since the Garden of Eden. It's what he's after. I don't care if you're a millionaire trying to chase the corporate ladder. He will try to get you to find your identity in that. The enemy will always try to get you to find your identity in something besides what God gave you. We are legislating pronouns. I told you this wasn't going to be easy. Look at the stuff that we're putting into laws. It's always found in politics. That's where she lives. She can be found in the media. You can name your poison. I don't care if it's CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. They're all the same. By the way, the media is not your friend. The media doesn't care about your family. They have zero obligation to you as a viewer. They read teleprompters like a script, and their salaries are paid by large organizations who have an agenda. Listen to me. Their agenda is to make money. And you know what sells? Division. Let's get them divided. They're salespeople. That's why they use good-looking, beautiful people who sound smart. And you know what they do, Tim? They tell us who to love, who to hate, who to be afraid of, who to trust, what to think, and what not to think. You don't believe me? Do you know that the word media is simply the plural form of the word medium? Did you know that? A medium is one who stands between two entities and interprets truth. Maybe that's why 11 times scripture tells us, do not consult with mediums for truth. Guess where, guess where truth is now formed in America? The media. 
And your truth is the form by which media outlet you listen to. I'm just trying to tell you that Jezebel is alive and well. She can always be found in sexuality, pornography, immorality, perversion, gender identity. She will even be found in women's rights and she'll call it liberation because she will always come across as a defender, your body, your choice. But listen to me. She's anything but a defender. She is seductive. She's manipulative. She is power hungry and she's deceitful. She will always wrap herself up in beauty because she looks so good, but she will cancel you as soon as you stand against her. In our text, we're going to see Jezebel cancel a man of God. She's going to destroy him. His name is Naboth. Everybody say Naboth. Naboth represents you and me. He represents the church. He, he represents God's word. He represents everything that Christ stood for. Let's read about him just for a second. We're going to unpack it, then I'll start preaching. First Kings 21, it says, Sometime later there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab the king. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it's close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard. At first glance, it seems like no big deal. Like, look, Naboth, you got this land, bro. It's next to my house. It's next to the palace. Give me the land. I'll give you better land. I'll give you more land. I'll give you some, some money. I'll give you something better in return. You'll get a better vineyard. You'll be in good standing with the king. By the way, isn't that the way that the enemy always works? Give me your land and I'll give you a better piece. Eat that apple and I'll show you the truth. Do your thing and you'll feel good. He always offers you something you think you need, hoping that you don't know it'll rob you from what you already have. Watch this. But Nahab, look, look how Nahab fights. Naboth fights with God's words. He knows better. It says, but Naboth replied, the Lord forbid, forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. What is he doing? He's actually quoting Mosaic law to the law of the land. He's actually quoting scripture. He's quoting from Numbers chapter 36. Here's what he's quoting. Numbers 36, so shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel remove from tribe to tribe for every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. So watch this. The law of the land tells him to do one thing. Sell us your land. It's for the king. It's, it's eminent domain. It's the legal thing to do. You know, and that's what the enemy is always after. The enemy is always after your land. He's always after your fruit. He's always after your inheritance. Give me your land. The enemy is screaming today. Give me your land. Give me your fruit. Give me your inheritance. Give me your kids. I'll wrap it up in something else. I'll promise you something else. But he's always trying to steal. He's always trying to manipulate. But God's law, God's word tells him something completely different. Listen to me. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's godly. Just because it's legislated by Congress doesn't mean it should be accepted by God's people. In fact, watch this. In a Jezebel culture, what's legislated will often be backwards from what God's word says. 
Sell your land, sell your land, sell your land. It's what the king wants. It's what my candidate wants. It's what the government wants. It's what everybody wants. Do it, do it. We'll celebrate you. You'll get something out of it. God's word says no. We're living in a day and age when culture is mandating one thing and God's word says something different. In a Jezebel culture, what's legislated will often be backwards from what God's word says. We're living in a backwards time. It's perverse. If you can't turn on the news and see that this world is perverse, listen to me, and here, here's, the, here's the caution I want to give you. They are perverse, and they don't even know that they're perverse. And if you call them perverse, you will be canceled. You will be called the bigot, hateful, unaccepting, old-fashioned, and out of touch. They will even quote scriptures to us that we can't judge. Listen to me. We are called to judge. Anyone who quotes Matthew 7 to you, judge not lest you be judged, has no idea what that means. Okay? When it says judge not lest I be judged, it means I don't have the ability or the right to call out your sin if I'm not willing to deal with the same sin in my life. It means we judge each other. That's what that means, okay? So let's get it, get it, get it plain. Okay. And the reason that they do this, the reason that they're going to get upset when you call them perverse is because they think you're wrong and they're right. Watch this. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Everybody say fool. I know we use this term so flippantly. We often think of a fool as somebody who's like silly or, or like stop that fool or stupid. Listen to me. Fool has nothing to do with intellect. Fool is not an intellectual term. It has nothing to do with IQ or GPA. The word fool is a spiritual term describing a spiritual state. In fact, the word fool is the antithesis of godliness. I'm going to give you 12 quick scriptures about a fool. Watch this. A fool despises wisdom and instruction. A fool is right in his own eyes. A fool makes a mockery of sin. A fool hides hatred with lying and utter slander. A fool does mischief for sport or just for fun. A fool trusts in his own understanding. He thinks his way is right. A fool utters all of his mind. A fool walks in darkness. A fool does not pay his vows, which means he's a liar and a cheat. A fool is swallowed up by his own lips. A fool ultimately says there is no God. According to scripture, a fool is a lying, cheating, perverted, mischievous slander who opposes God speaks his mind, thinks his way is best, lives an unholy life, and cancels anyone who thinks different. That's what a fool is, according to the Bible. Watch this. The Hebrew word for fool, here it is. Evil. Do you know what word we get in our English language from evil? Fool literally means evil. Watch this. So go back, Proverbs 12, 15. You can say it this way. The way of the evil is right in his own eyes. I could even say it this way. The spirit of Jezebel thinks she's right in her own eyes. Okay, now let's go back. Can I start preaching now? Okay, here we go. Naboth stood his ground, literally. He stood on God's word. And he stood on his ground. 
I want you to see the reaction of Jezebel when you stand your ground. Watch this. The first thing she will hit you with is deceit. She sends a fake letter on behalf of the king to Naboth. Look at verse 8. She wrote letters in Ahab's name and placed his seal on it. I don't know if you know what the seal of the king is. He would take his signet. He would take his ring. He would dip it in wax. He was the only one that had this ring. You couldn't get it on Amazon. You couldn't. It was his ring. So when he put his seal on it, it was the blue, you know, Twitter check next to his name. This is the certified account of Ahab. She is deceitful. She will deceive you. She sends a letter with Ahab's name on it and sends it to the nobles and elders who live in Naboth city. And she says, invite them to this prominent dinner. She's, she's deceitful. Watch this. She's a manipulator. She tries to manipulate. In those letters, she says, proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. So she will lie to you. She will manipulate you. And then when you ain't having it, guess what happens? It's called accusation. Let me tell you about sister so-and-so. Look what she does. But seat two scoundrels opposite of him and have them bring charges that he cursed both God and king. Neither were true. Then take him out and stone him to death. So she's deceitful. She's a manipulator. She accuses, and her goal is to ultimately cancel you or take you out. She kills him. She says, take him out and stone him to death. Listen to me. Standing up to Jezebel will cost you everything. It will. It's going to cost you your popularity. People are going to talk about you. They're going to call you a bigot. They're, they're going to they're say things about you. They're, oh, look at that holy rotor. Oh, he, he's so out of touch. This is the 21st century. I mean, come on. Look, acting like he's living in 1945, sleeping in separate beds from his wife. I mean, look at them. I'm telling you. In today's culture, standing up to Jezebel will cost you everything. And I'm convinced, I am convinced that one of the biggest issues with the church is not that we don't believe the truth. It's simply that we're not willing to pay the cost to stand up to Jezebel. I'm telling you. So there are churches out there, there are Christians out there, there are pastors out there who are too afraid to stand up. And so what's happening is churches and Christians are now being politically correct instead of scripturally sound. And they will tell you, like, yes, we believe in the truth, but don't say too much. We, we, we don't want to offend anybody. We, we, we don't want to ruffle any feathers. You know, we, we don't want anybody looking into what we're preaching because they will cancel us and take our tax-exempt status just like that. So we've created a church in America that believes the truth, but we won't speak it. Why? Because we tolerate Jezebel. By the way, Jesus talks about Jezebel a thousand years after she died. Why? Because her spirit was still alive. Watch this. When Jesus is walking among the seven churches at Asia Minor, he's going to tell them all they did something good. Then he's going to be, bring a rebuke to them as well. This is what he says to the church at Thyatira. Listen to this. This is Revelation chapter 2, verse 19 through 20. He says this about the church. I know your deeds. Like, you've done some awesome stuff in the community. You, you guys are rocking it in the community. You know, they, they know you for your love and your faith, 
your service. I mean, you help everybody in the community. Your perseverance, you, you, you're enduring. I, you're amazing. And, and you're doing way more than you. You're growing. Oh, you do so much. You're helping everybody, man. You're, you're doing all this stuff. Nevertheless, watch this. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. You tolerate her. It's not that you don't believe opposite. It's not that you don't do all these things. It's not that you don't believe the truth. It's that you, you've just been silenced. And you tolerate her. Watch this. Jesus doesn't rebuke the church for being Jezebel. He rebukes them for tolerating her. You, you didn't stand up for truth when you had the opportunity. You didn't call out sin when sin was there. You didn't tell people the difference between righteous and unrighteous, holy and unholy, set apart and wicked. He says you tolerate it. And then he says this, because you tolerate, if you keep reaching, it says, she leads my servants, my people, God's people, into sexual immorality and eating the food sacrificed to idols. But it starts with toleration. Oh, 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 just don't say, that doesn't affect our home personally. Don't say anything. Don't ruffle the feathers. It doesn't hurt us. Just leave it alone. We don't have to be so closed-minded. We're going to get put in Instagram and Twitter jail if we say that on our live feed. We, we, we don't believe that, but don't say anything against it either. Why? Because we tolerate it. How much more is the church going to tolerate? How much more are we going to tolerate? We've tolerated. And I'm not trying to be insensitive to anything. I know that we all have struggles. I know that we all have faults. I know that we have, all have identity issues. I understand that. That's why the truth is the one that sets people free. We've got to preach the truth, and we've been tolerating and tolerating and tolerating. And I do not mean to be insensitive, but when a grown man pretends to be a woman and changes his pronoun, we got to play make-believe? Tolerate. Or when we keep killing human babies and calling it women's rights. Yet at the same time, we will take billion-dollar grants to protect sea turtles and call it preserving a species. Tolerate. How long are we going to allow immoral and ungodly celebrities to lecture our kids on sexuality and immorality, and we call it acceptance and love? Tolerate. Y'all, preschoolers are now encouraged at the age of three, four, and five to Pick a gender like it's picking a flavor of Kool-Aid. What do you want to be, little Johnny? And in some states, if a parent speaks up, the one who's given the God-given right to tend to, nurture, and protect that child said something. It's being called child abuse. And it's all because the church has tolerated it. How long are we going to tolerate Jezebel? How long? Look at what he says. You tolerate that woman who calls herself a prophet, by, but her teaching misleads my servants into sexual immorality and idolatry. Watch this. If the servants of God, it's the servants of God who actually tolerate it, actually become entangled in it. 
Think about that. It's the unintended consequences of toleration. You know why there's more immorality in the church? Because we tolerate it. You know why there's division in the church? Because we tolerate it. You know why there's idolatry in the church? Because we, we tolerate it. And if the church doesn't tolerate Jezebel, then they don't become immoral and idolatrous. Why? Because what we tolerate is what we ultimately become. Here's the progression, and I'm closing. Vic, help me out. Help me out, Vic. Watch this. I wrote it down for you. Put it up. First, we tolerate Jezebel. Put it up. Next slide. First, we tolerate Jezebel. Next, we accept Jezebel. Then we legalize Jezebel. Then we promote Jezebel. Then we celebrate Jezebel. Then we cancel anyone who comes against Jezebel. Then we become Jezebel. I'm not here to win friends and influence people. I'm here to tell you the truth. Do you see the spirit of Jezebel alive in America? So what do we do? We got to do something, right? What do we do? Second Kings chapter six, God tells us that the prophet Elisha, he tells him to go and find a commander in the king's army named Jehu. He summons Jehu. This, this is Elisha. And here's what it says, 2 Kings chapter 9, and I'm closing. And it says, and he, Elisha, arose and went into the house, and he poured oil on him, Jehu, Jehu's head. And he said to him, thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, I have anointed thee king over the people, even over Israel, and thou shalt smite the house of Ahab, thy master, and I may avenge the blood of my servants, servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the land, and the hand of Jezebel. Verse 10. And even and the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the portion of Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. She won't even have a funeral. And he opened the door and he left. A few verses later, Jehu sets out to do what he's been anointed to do. And it says this. And when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. Of course she did. The second you stand up to her, she's going to hear about you. She's going to get worse. She's going to get prepared. She's going to go up into her, sit in front of her vanity. She's going to get ready for you because she hasn't changed. It says she painted her face and got her hair did. She's up to the same old tricks. I'm going to put on my makeup. Got my little mascara, my shadow. Got my, my shiny lipstick. Put my weave in. Got my nails all done. Shellacking looking at you. Why? Because she hears that Jehu's coming, so she's going to try to seduce him. But Jehu wasn't taking any of it. He wasn't taking the bait. I believe that God is raising up a Jehu generation. He's raising up a group of, a group of people in Opelousas that's saying, this culture can't seduce me anymore. 
The world can't manipulate me anymore. I am standing my ground. Look at what it says. And it says, and as Jehu entered the gate, she said, so Jezebel's waiting for him. And she starts some nonsense. She said, had Zimri peace who slew his master? She's just talking nonsense. And, and he lifted up his face to the window and he said, watch this. Remember I told you it's about two sides? He said, who's on my side? Who, who's on my side? I know who's on Jezebel's side, but, but who's with me? Who's got my back today? Who's standing against unrighteousness and unholiness? Who's standing on my side? And watch this. And, and it said this. And he looked. He looked out and there were two or three eunuchs. And he said, throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood sprinkled on the wall and on the horses. And he trod under her foot. Notice who cast them, who cast her down. It says it was eunuchs. You know what eunuchs were? Eunuchs were castrated men who had their authority and their identity stripped from them. Their masculinity was stripped from them. It's a representation of the church. It's time for the castrated church to rise up and say, she's taken our identity, she's taken our authority, we got our authority back, we got our voice back, we got our identity back, we got our place back, we're standing on ground that is ours, we're not turning back, we're not retreating, you can't have our land, you can't have our children, you can't have our inheritance, enough is enough, who is with me? Who's with me? Who's with me? Who's with me? This is our ground. This is our city. These are our children. This is our family. The enemy's been after them long enough. This is our ground, and we stand on holy ground. Stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. That's the declaration we're making. There's only two sides. We've been duped. There's some of us in this place, we, we've fallen trapped over and over to the spirit of Jezebel. I'm talking about sexuality, immorality. I'm talking about politically. I'm talking about hatred. I'm talking about manipulation. But something happens. Look around this room. You know what I envisioned? I envisioned this is a representation of all the eunuchs that said, I'm with you. We're, we're in this together. We're in this together. If you want to take back land that's yours, would you just lift up your hands today? If you lost some ground in your family, in your identity, in your spirit, if you've, if you've lost some ground, Father, we repent. God, we repent for falling into the trap of Jezebel. But God, as I look out, God, I thank you, God, that you're, you're raising up Jehus all over Opelousas and St. Landry Parish in Acadiana. God, you're raising up men and women who said you can't manipulate me anymore. You can't seduce me anymore. I know that it may cost me some stuff. But God, I'm willing to stand. I'm standing on holy ground. This just isn't my ground. This is holy ground. This is the land that you've promised us, God. God, we declare today that St. Landry Parish in Opelousas is holy ground. God, this is your land. 
God, we come against hate in our community. God, the spirit of crime, the spirit of manipulation that dresses herself up, God, in so many forms and fashions. God, we come against that. God, that's why we want to have a unity walk, God. It's not that we're against anything. We're for you. We're for you moving in our city. We're for you moving in our parish. God, we need your spirit again. And we just ask even now, God, God, as we cast down the Jezebel spirit, God, send your Holy Spirit. Send your Holy Spirit. 